0: Hello and welcome to the Stalk and I podcast for solo parents and those considering solo parenthood by donor conception. I'm your host Mel Johnson, the solo parenthood coach and solo mum to my five-year-old daughter. Series six of the podcast is focused on solo parenthood stories and speaking to a range of solo mums about their path to parenthood. Just a quick reminder before we get into today's episode, that for just £2.99 a month, you can join Thriving Solo, the monthly membership for Solo Parents. With your membership, you get a members-only podcast episode, you get access to the whole back catalogue of resources, webinars, downloadable guides, lots of useful information. You also get access to our monthly community call, where all members dial in to discuss all things Solo Parenthood. This month, we're having a special Valentine's community call for all members who want to join in to get connected this Valentine's Day. If you'd like to join, head over to the Stork and I website and head to the membership section to sign up. And now for today's podcast episode with solo parent, Sarah.
1: Sarah, so lovely to have you on the podcast today.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: <laughs> You're more than welcome. Before we get started, it would be great if you wanted to give yourself an
2: introduction. My name's Sarah, as you know, I am a, I don't know if I say solo or single, I still haven't landed on it, but either or, mum by choice. So I have a just over six month old little girl called Emily, who I conceived last year using donor sperm from the European Sperm Bank and with the help of a fertility clinic, Um. When I'm not on maternity leave and my head isn't filled with naps and nappies, I'm a corporate lawyer and I am originally from Scotland, but I live in Dublin.
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much. It's interesting, isn't it, that terminology, single or solo. I say solo because I'm trying to separate out relationship status to how I'm a parent. So I see single as my relationship status. But but then I'm parenting without a partner, so that's the solo part. But I I don't think it massively matters, does it? There's, there's a bit of a competition, competition. at
2: the time. No, but do you know? I think it matters. Well, I've saw anyway from other like single mom accounts, or this yeah, I said single. But I I've seen people comment on it. Do you know to say that specifically? They don't want to be known as a single parent because and. I think it's more so women who have feelings towards solo or single parenthood and relationships, whereas I was a bit easy-ozy about that aspect of it, so if I'm single or solo, it doesn't really bother me either way. But I am conscious that some people don't like single.
1: Yeah, no, I'm the same. It doesn't matter to me. I don't want to get into the competition of, around single versus solo no, because no. Some, sometimes there's a, you know, they're just they're, they're different. If you've got a partner that you're co-parenting with, but it's yeah. just different challenges, isn't it? So, talk to me about your decision to become a solo parent. Where when did it all start?
2: So, Do you know. What? I've recounted this story a few times but every now and then I remember like an extra part of it or do you know like as your experience goes on you get more hindsight as to when that actually happened probably but I for the most part I went on a little solo trip just in Ireland it was in 2021 so we couldn't really go many places and I went to the west coast and for me like that was enormous because I wouldn't even go for like dinner on my own. And people are surprised when they know me and I say things like that because I appear very outwardly confident. But I did always have a thing about doing things myself. So it was an enormous challenge for me. So I went away and done that. I really enjoyed it. I never spent so much time on my own before, like exploring. And I really liked the, I can do exactly what I want today. There's there's nobody to answer to. I can go nap when I want. I can get up. I can go for a drink. I can go and see this. And I came back kind of with like a, renewed self-confidence I think and prior to that I had been single for a very long time after quite a bad relationship and you know I'd had small like I wouldn't say the relationships, but dating people here and there over the years and the last one had finished say like the April May and I took it pretty badly because it was just like one after the other and I wasn't getting anywhere and I started to think like, I don't even know if I wanted a relationship or why am I getting so upset by this? It was kind of compounding. And I thought like, oh God, like I'm never going to have a child. And it it just kind of occurred to me. And my mind had been going back and forth about egg freezing. But it just never really felt right. So I didn't settle on it. Like I couldn't just make that call or contact because it it didn't feel 100% correct for me. So with that in mind, when I came back from that little trip myself, I just decided, look, I'm just going to go and do this. So I <laughs> I went to the fertility clinic and they started explaining options. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, and your partner. And I was like, no, no, I just need donor sperm. Can you tell me how to get it? And that was it, I was done. And then uh, I think actually from meeting them four months later, I was pregnant, four and a half months-ish. Wow, amazing.
1: It's, it's I was telling someone yesterday, how quick it can be because mm. so many people consider for so long whether this is the right path to parenthood and then if you actually go into a clinic I was saying that when I went in they said you could start on your next cycle if you want so yeah. I was like <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about this for three years Like, you you know it's, it's, it goes quite quick when you finally sort of press that button
2: of or contacting the clinic and what what treatment did you have? I had an IUI, so like I, I was very fortunate in that sense that whilst I was what they might call socially infertile, I don't like it, but I've heard it, I didn't have any infertility or subfertility issues, so I was able to do that. The my numbers were relatively high, so they'd actually said to me, "I'm not sure if IUI will be great for you because they can kind of overshoot with medication." And I couldn't find a clinic here. And they told me they don't do them There's in Ireland, no natural cycles. So you get the medication and a trigger shot. So I had to try and get like a very low dose. But luckily, for school, it worked. So I had bought three vials of sperm, thinking you know, like everybody does, it might take three tries or whatever. So I still have two in storage at the clinic. But the first shot was a lucky one.
1: Amazing and it's really interesting because so many people are going through that process of deciding should I do IUI or should I just go straight to IVF and there's just no right answer is there because you know you're a great example of where you know luckily you did try IUI because it, Um, it was much easier not having to go to IVF but other people if they try IUI and then you know, they do six and they're not pregnant, they think, oh, I wish I'd gone to IVF. So there's just <laughs> the no thing, right yeah. way. is there?
2: And you'd get, you can see, and I do see it because obviously I'm in like single mom circles. I think this community, like is very good for building little groups everywhere. And I, tragically I see it in a lot of women and they get very disheartened then because, do you know, even if IUI wouldn't have been great for you, but they've tried three times, you then have the financial burden of having paid for the donor sperm which is very expensive now and then you've got three like f- tries that didn't work so you think oh god I'm a failure do you know the same with anything life has gone right to I- um, IBS might have been a great one for them but it was good for me because I am quite medically adverse I didn't like the thought of the hormones Now that's just me like I well, I wouldn't say phobic but like I won't even I'd rather not take ibuprofen if I didn't have to so I was a bit concerned by that and I was a bit scared, although I thought childbirth was fine. So like swings and roundabouts here, but I chose IUI for that. You know, it was the least intervention. Yeah. I did think if it worked first or second try, whatever, it would be the cheaper option, which is obviously important for single parents as well. And luckily it was. So the only, I suppose, downside is if for me is if I want to go again, I have to go again with my eggs afresh. Like I don't have anything in the, the freezer, so to speak.
1: True. Yeah. And what, how easy was it for you to make that final decision? Did you, was your preference to do this in a partnership or was it quite easy to let go of that idea?
2: do you know what it was inordinately easy but I do think there's a small problem with that so I hide and like in single mothers groups like I was saying a lot of women come in there's a Facebook one and there's someone what's we meet up but I see a lot of women saying you know I just can't make the decision how did you did you feel on the fence or even on Instagram people message me and say how did you get there how did you choose a donor and I see quite a lot of women struggling like back and forth with just getting to that final yes decision and I didn't and I just it was like something now it, it could be my subconscious taken away for a long time but like consciously just one day I was like I'm gonna do this I powered in I was also like this is gonna work I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it now I was really determined but I think what happened then is I got pretty bad postnatal anxiety now that is obviously I think in part hormonal and my hormones I think now we're balancing out which is great I took supplements you know you get depleted all these things that can cause it I also do think now in hindsight some of it might have been that I hadn't fully thought the whole thing through and that is 100% not to say I have any regrets because I don't it's the best thing I've ever done um but I think I didn't really even during pregnancy because I had quite a difficult pregnancy I was just so focused on I'm going to do this this is my new life the baby's going to come and I didn't you know I think I just didn't think how hard it can be or how how life-changing it is. And that's for all mums, I suppose, single or in a partnership. But I just, I didn't think about it because I was so determined. So that when in the height of sleep deprivation and hormones and whatever else causes anxiety, you don't really know yet, that I also had that kind of existential thing where I was like, oh my God, I've done this. (laughs) Like I woke up one day and I was like, I was on a train for a year and a half and now I'm here, what do I do? Whereas I do wonder if the women who spend a lot of time thinking it through beforehand, don't have that, or at least have all the answers they thought of at the time for those hard moments.
1: Hearing that will be so reassuring to people because I was chatting to a few people about this who said, "I was so determined to do this, and now I've got pregnant. Like, is this definitely the right thing?" If I, don't? you know, because you're so focused on it, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Oh, now I," don't. you know, and and on my choosing solo course, which is the group. Coaching course I run for people trying to decide whether this is the right path for them. We talk about there's some people who are really lucky in some ways because you just know, regardless, you want to be a parent. And so it's an easy decision. You might still be grieving the route to parenthood and have a, a different preference initially, but you know that come what may you want to do it, it's harder for people who are like oh I don't know I do want to be a parent but I don't know if I want that on my own and then they have a really big decision making process to make however on that course we go through like this exercise to try to help go through all of our fears about it Mm -hmm. and what I always say is people are like Mel my friends get to have sex with their partner to get pregnant, and you're making me do a fear inventory. Like, what's, <laughs> ha- what's happening? This is. But to your point, although that feels like a bit of a nightmare at the time, you, you're going through everything that could possibly be mm-hmm. a fear and like working through it together in the group. And yeah. so if you haven't done that, I think regardless of whether you're a solo parent or not, yeah. sometimes those fears might come to the surface a bit
2: afterwards. 100%. Like I have, some of my best friends had not postnatal anxiety, but postnatal depression. So look, it can hit anybody and does. And I think actually the rates are disturbingly high at the moment, perhaps because of the last few years. But it, I think it it would have helped if I had... Do you know, Even if I had told somebody my answers to my fears so they could say them back to me because now it was just the anxiety speaking 100% it was and it was probably chemical imbalances at the same time but do you know some of the times I would think because I had a hard pregnancy I, I got kind of fixated on health and then I'd be like oh my god if something happened to me who's gonna look after Emily and I just when I was happy healthy say that pre-pregnancy determined to do this I would be like, oh, yeah, but sure, you could have two parents and something could go wrong with them. You can't predict the future. But when you're in the height of anxiety, that voice is, oh, my God, she's going to be on her own is much louder. So perhaps if I'd just done a bit more work at the time, I would have felt a bit better. But, do you know, on the other side, a lot of women, I think, come to this decision a bit older in life maybe if you were just you know having sex with a partner in your 20s or whatever because a lot of women do think they're going to meet somebody and and that's how they're going to do it so time isn't on a lot of people's sides unfortunately if you want to use your own eggs at least at least if you're kind of jumping in that way <laughs> I, I wasn't agonizing for two years or whatever and making it harder for myself like I I struck while the iron was hot if you like I just got burned with it on the other end <laughs> because yes. of that
1: so you said you had a difficult pregnancy what happened in your pregnancy
2: well i think we say easy conception difficult pregnancy easy baby hopefully it's going up and down but six fingers <laughs> I, yeah, so far so good i had hyperemesis which is oh. brutal i you know i had friends who had it and i really didn't appreciate what it's like i you can hear someone who's really bad nausea and sickness But to have that constantly and trying to function whilst your body's getting ready for like getting bigger, you know, getting ready for delivery, everything else is changing is horrific. And I think it set off a chain of events where, you know, I started exercising less because I physically couldn't do anything, which then brings your mood down. It brings your health down. Then with that, I got, I was enormous. Like I've got photos of myself on my Instagram page, but like I'm only five foot one. Emily was a really big baby. But aside from that, I just blew up like an elephant like the I don't know how many scans I was sent for because they thought she was going to be enormous because the size of me but um everything just kind of went wrong then so then I got really bad pelvic girdle issues and it was like I couldn't walk some days which again then impacts your mental health your physical health whilst having had hyperemesis and I have quite a demanding job so that was quite a lot and then towards the end I got inordinately stressed like really badly and in hindsight i think that was the anxiety starting but nobody really talks about perinatal anxiety you know like at the end of pregnancy or perinatal depression really and either as a result of that or just as a medical issue my blood pressure went up but that was it was in hindsight now it was 40 plus right so i was past term or they call it late term and everything was fine but it gave me the fear fear of God like it just I'd never had any health issues you know like I didn't have any risk factors for anything like that I didn't realize I'd always had a bit of a phobia about heart issues or something because it was like really bad I took it badly and I didn't get the best maternity care and it all just kind of compounded into a rough experience which probably impacted the first few months postpartum.
1: And how did you have people around you? Have you got a good
2: support network? So my mum's here, but the rest of my family obviously are still in Scotland. So I mean, she was invaluable, um, especially on days where I couldn't really, you know, like you can't be pushing a hoover about with like really bad pelvic girdle pain, it just doesn't work. So I did need somebody, and I think particularly so, at, like that's something that solo or single parents really need to think about because. I know they say, you know, you can do it on your own. And I've seen women with no support systems doing it with like two children. But my God, like, I think they're like great warriors or something like where the hell do they come from? But you, help is beneficial. Yeah, she did help me. And I you either have a partner or your mother or a sister or a friend or hire someone to help do things if you can afford that, because it was really hard.
1: I, I always say to people, the good news is you can do it on your own. So that's the starting point. And I think COVID shows us that because anybody who had a baby in COVID had to do it on their own if they were single. And so that's a good starting point. And then I always say, then building on that, any support on top of that is absolutely desirable and beneficial. And I think it's amazing if you've got that person like your parent or a sister or, or brother, you know, a sibling, um or like a really close friend who lives close who is able to help but I think it is also possible to build a network of people around you who can share it a little bit between them yeah have you built any network since having Emily?
2: Yeah so some of them might listen to this cringe when I mention them but I uh, we had a Our anti classes were still online at the time. Ireland's a bit behind the UK, or was, and left restrictions. And everything was still online, and we built a really good WhatsApp group. So I know a lot of women do those, and they go down the the pooper because nobody talks or, like, just don't get on. But we have about 30-odd women in our group now, and it's very active. And, like, between just chatting through things, you know, like, in the very early days, like, be up at night feeding the baby, there was someone to chat to at 3 a.m., and now some of us are in the same baby swim classes together or, you know, like baby sensory groups or we just have meetups. They've all been with babies so far, but we're trying to get out like a mother's one. And I think I don't have any brothers and sisters, so I wasn't going to have, you know, like cousins or aunties and uncles for her. And my closest friends are still in Scotland. Now, I absolutely have really good friends here, but do you know the ones you've known since you were five or yeah. whatever. I think what you do really need in terms of support network at least postpartum is that like you need mum friends and I know it's a big cliche but it's just nobody else is interested in talking about like baby poo or feeding or I'm starting to wean I'm terrified I'm going to choke my child kind of thing. Do you know you need someone who's also in the trenches doing the same thing because I don't know I'm sure my auntie and all like love Emily they absolutely do but they're probably not interested in her nappies <laughs> so true
1: I was actually just writing a blog post on Some people were asking me, where do you get emotional support from? And I get it from a variety of different places. And one of the things I was saying is in my antenatal group, we were all messaging each other at 3 a.m their partners maybe have been asleep in the spare room and they were messaging yes. the WhatsApp group. So, mm-hmm. you know, even if you have got a partner, often it's the it's the mums that are still saying, how would you do this? Is that normal? What's happened here? So you get that real good support. From well, I
2: think, was- yeah, you're right. I think that's, I'd say 90 or 95% of the women in that group. You, know, you hear a lot, you know, their partners are having a little spare room because they're working or whatever. And also my friends back home. One of, their, one of them has a husband who's a bit of a unicorn and done everything <laughs> and I say that because it, like I'm not being sexist it does seem rare it's generally women doing it and especially like if someone's breastfeeding like they're definitely the ones doing the 3am feeds yeah. so yeah as you're all in the same boat and in that sense I found it motherhood kind of nice because when you're trying to conceive or even when you're pregnant you do feel a bit different I suppose because you haven't done it with a partner or maybe that was just my perception it's actually becoming more normal but when you get into the um, ins and outs of new motherhood, all mums are in the same boat. Like It doesn't matter how you got there.
1: Exactly, exactly. And so how was your experience of the birth?
2: I I would do childbirth again in a heartbeat. Amazing. So there's a, a positive note. Like I can grumble on about anxiety and other things, but like actual childbirth. And I, I don't, sometimes I offend people when I say, I don't think it was difficult, but that was just mine. I, it wasn't for me. Now the circumstances, like I was kept in before it, like I said, and I wasn't taking that very well, and I was kept in afterwards. But if you ignore all that, which is where like I got a bit of trauma from, and just the actual birth, you know, the the hours of really active intense labour in delivery suite, fine, not a problem. I I find it quite empowering and I I wanted, and I, I don't mean to discourage anybody who wants to do it differently, but I, like I said, was quite adverse to medication. I had done a lot of hypnobirthing courses. I had read some wonderful books that entirely stripped my feet of childbirth, like gone. And I was determined I was going to try and do it without intervention or without drugs. So I did. Well, I used and I suppose that's a drug, but like that alone. And then no, luckily, like no forceps or anything. I did get an episiotomy, which is not pleasant. And I now understand societal references to them, but childbirth itself, brilliant. And it's the one part and like so that two weeks is quite hard for me especially when I I go back and think about it and I actually had some they call it rewind therapy to try and like reverse the negative connotations with it but I was very careful not to try and rewind over the actual Mm. uh, four hours of active labor because I don't have any bad thoughts around that and I'm hoping that I get to go for number two and that it'll be a home birth so really won't have any choice for serious pain medication there (laughs)
1: amazing uh, hats off to you that you're thinking about number 2 as well that's super exciting and good use of the sperm that you bought So uh, at least yes. it's, it's good that you've got some sperm bank and so then so then you said you had a tough time so talk yeah.
2: us through then after the birth so like i said i was i was kept in it was um I think it was 6 days before five or six days pre birth she arrived like a train on a Sunday morning and then I was kept in until the following Friday evening um, and I like I said my blood pressure had risen and it's really quite common for anyone who has gestational hypertension apparently or preeclampsia to have arrived then on day three to five birth. They don't really know why that happens, but it does and then generally tapers back down. So my blood pressure went back up like that. It was never like in serious danger zones, but again, hospitals, they didn't know what it was. And I think in hindsight, I was actually getting kind of white coat syndrome. And it is only with hindsight because I then found out when I went back six weeks later, my blood pressure had been fine. I went back in the hospital setting to get my stitches checked and it went through the roof again and slowly came down as I camped. And then I went to the GP, went through the roof, came down. But I had a public health nurse come and have a look at me in my home environment and it was fine. Wow. So I had been, yeah, I'd been saying to the hospital at the time, I don't think I do have a medical issue here with blood pressure. I am. I was inordinately stressed. I didn't want to give birth in in that environment. I didn't want to be kept in. I was scared. They'd actually, unfortunately, in Ireland, they put me on a, a ward where women were giving birth before I'd given birth. Wow. And if you don't know what it is, it can sound quite distressing and scary. And my birth wasn't like that. So I the stress levels I think were absolutely through the roof. And when I was saying to them, they were saying, No, no, oh your stress God. can affect your blood pressure. I now know absolutely it can and I'm pretty sure that's what's happened to me. However, I was then getting scared or was something wrong with me because they wouldn't let me go and also unfortunately and every woman actually who's in hospital even for the three days or whatever afterwards will know this they come in and check your like vitals or whatever every four hours so mm-hmm. Emily at the start wasn't sleeping she had this like nice pattern of being awake from midnight till like 7am which is I think here's bizarre for a newborn but that's what she was doing so then they'd come in the morning just when we'd go to sleep and they'd wake me up and then it'd be here you have to have your lunch wake me up so I hadn't slept before the birth I think for about three days Then I don't think I slept after really like it was bouts of an hour here and there so I was absolutely like dog tired destroyed upset distressed worried and then it just had an impact on me now I'm sure there's a million women who wouldn't be bothered by that for whatever reason I took it really badly and it left an impact on me so much so that I went and got therapy etc afterwards
1: gosh and so how
2: did you feel when you left the hospital and went home I was elated <laughs> you know it was it was pretty bad I was kind of like ever see those movies where an action movie generally someone sets fire or something and walks away and you see the fire in the background yeah like <laughs> I don't mean to harm anyone who was in the building but the actual building I never want to see it ever again and unfortunately I yeah. don't want to see the insides of it but I I live about Oh, seven minutes away <laughs> no, oh no so I do walk past it um i had to get some therapy over that as well but um it was brilliant to come back and you know I just wanted to have my baby in my house and I think one of the things aside from the like the birth trauma or the hospital situation drama was I I think had this fear that either me or Emily wasn't going to make it home mm-hmm. and it was it was a ir- rat it was totally irrational I don't know where it came from but I had kind of thought to myself, well, you know, like, well, I've been single for so long. This is, obviously, I was de- desperately in the heights of anxiety and nobody noticed at the time. And this was just, say, that week I was kept in hospital. So just before birth, I was thinking, look, maybe I wasn't meant to have a child. That's it. One of us isn't going to make it there. And it's, it's so upsetting at a time when you feel so vulnerable and you're so hormonal. And then, so if there was a suggestion, there's something wrong with either of us, then I was taking that as validation of my fear so when I got home I was like I can't believe we're both here but then so the first few weeks then we're like okay something's going to happen to one of us Mm. and I never really had fears over Emily because she's such a strong little thing like the pediatrician when I had a look at her first called her as strong as a trout like she really is a little muscly thing and I thought god that baby's strong no fear on her but I was like okay well I'm gonna die then and like they are irrational thoughts like I mean just as anybody would think they're gonna die everybody will at some point but there's no indication to say I was gonna but I was almost convinced and it was just I think probably the hardest thing I'll ever do because you know that period I think every mum would tell you it's so difficult the first few weeks postpartum as a first-time mum to then have any issue on top of that it's just brutal and it it steals your joy and then that's also upsetting itself
1: gosh it sounds so tough and how did you manage to work through it
2: I, do you know i initially i thought oh, well, maybe it's hormones but i got to the point then this didn't start really until like severely until six weeks postpartum when i went into the hospital to get my stitches checked my blood pressure went through the roof the doctor they actually said to me i think you have white coat syndrome are you anxious about something i was like yeah at this place and then i went back to my gp for the you know the checks about a week later mine was slightly delayed and the same thing happened and i started crying and then she said, "Okay, well, there's something not right here." But I'd been fine for a few weeks. You know, I had a kind of intrusive thoughts, but I thought this is okay. And then it progressed to like waking up at four a.m., heart racing, like my I couldn't control my own mind. It was the thoughts were just coming like every ten minutes, and I thought like if it's not it wasn't blood pressure. And I think at one point I decided I had like a retinal detachment because I was getting like vision flickering, which is probably hormones or tiredness. But anyway, I was sitting in the shower at 4 a.m i was vomiting like sweating really badly i had to go for walks in the middle of the night to try and calm myself down and at that point i said i can't do this so unfortunately like i said i'm quite medically adverse so i didn't want to try drugs as a first option and also i had heard that at least for postnatal anxiety they might not hit the right spot because it can be something slightly they're not i think someone told me they're not catered towards postnatal hormones necessarily And whilst they might work with some depression, anxiety can be a bit harder for them to hit. Now, I'm sure some of them work, but for that reason, because I was breastfeeding and because I knew I was going to try again in the future and I didn't want to go on and off them, I wanted to keep them as a last resort. So I got a therapist for general therapy, trying to figure out what the fears were that were causing this quite excessive reaction. And then I went to a birth trauma specialist and we done like a, we call it rewind therapy which tries to make your mind process the memory so that it doesn't have a, a physical reaction when you think of it. It's like a, a PTSD tool, which is what they say birth trauma is. I took supplements, like I think magnesium's the best thing in the world now. <laughs> so I had magnesium, vitamin D, like perinatal supplements, fish oil, I think I had five at one point. Exercise I tried, reading, breathing techniques. But I mean, I don't just mean five minutes a night. I was doing them every hour just to try and bring my nervous system back down and ultimately I think hormones so I have just finished up breastfeeding last week and I was weaning off so I do think that they say prolactin. I think just the hormone release breastfeeding that can cause anxiety because I think it's designed in the body to make you look after your baby so obviously that would heighten the. I'm constantly on hypervigilance so for me anyway and Emily wanted to stop naturally a bit with solids, I weaned it down and I feel like night and day to that person a few months ago. So I think all of those things helped, but I mean, had they not, I would have went and got medication because it was intolerable.
1: But brilliant that you almost did like a really wide variety of things and thought, right, let me try a bit of everything. And and then collectively that has a positive impact. And And how are things now how are you finding
2: solo parenthood now much better it's my mum kept saying to me at the time you know Sarah this is awful because you're you're missing really good parts now I don't think she understood you know like how bad it can feel and that I wasn't choosing to feel that way but it is objectively true it does steal some of the joy now I was never not present for it I was always there and I tried so you know even through the really hard months like and people said this to me on Instagram because I'd be out or whatever, and I'd take photos. I did still try and go there and go places, and I took her to her swimming, and she had like a, a baby, like it's like a singing group thing. We went to the mall. Like it might just meant I was sitting in the car panicking afterwards or sweating, but I I tried to be there for every moment because I knew that would be true. But night and day now, like I get up now, and I I don't feel terrified, so I can enjoy giving her her breakfast. I can sit there and sing with her. I can go on long and walks without worrying how far I am from my house and someone like in case I need somebody for what I don't know but that's what I used to worry about it just feels like a a different life now and it's lovely it's exactly how I thought it would be it's like something just ticked over that part's gone and now I have the little girl that I wanted
1: and Mm -hmm. I should say
2: a lot of people (laughs) they don't have a preference on gender but I was such a team girl I was like I really want a little mini me I do and I said it and I was like god I'm gonna feel terrible it's a boy (laughs) but I didn't have to face that in the end
1: I think a lot of people do have a preference but they just perhaps don't feel (laughs) confident to share that maybe (laughs) Um, I hear a lot of people say afterwards oh yeah that is what (laughs) that is what I wanted (laughs)
2: And anybody who is considering early parenthood, what would your advice be? Just do it. Like, I just know, maybe do a course or something about it and don't do it exactly the way I did unless time isn't on your side and you can just maybe deal with it while you're pregnant. But do it. It is, it's wonderful. And there are, it's not just hard because you're on your own. Now, it's true in the sense that I have, although my mum is here to help, I have never missed a night feed. I was breastfeeding, but even when she's on bottles now, I've still done them all. My anxiety wouldn't allow me not to, so it's hard. But there's some aspects I think that are easier not having a partner. So I know some women, you know, like they might have been at odds with their their partner about what they want to do with their baby, particularly around sleep, because obviously that's a controversial one, or probably later in life. I'm not there, so I don't know the. The arguments that might appear, it's even a kid's four or five, 12, but I presume they exist as well. I also don't have, and I knew this would have hit for me, the resentment of a partner. Now, it, it's not rational, but if you're in the trenches and you're on four hours' sleep and there was someone else there getting to have like a lunch break at work or getting to go out on a Friday night, I could imagine I'd be taking that person's head off. And it's probably not fair, but I would. So I don't have that either. I also don't have. you know concerns about having sex after having a child or my body or you know just having to give time to a relationship when child's children can be so consuming particularly if you have any issue like i did so there are a million actual practical benefits as well now you all you do have and i think these are things you should consider and i was going overboard with them in the height of anxiety but you know, I will be responsible for her for life. I I'm gonna be financially responsible for her. I do need a bigger house now and I need to find a way to do that. It's very expensive in Ireland to buy property. It's ridiculous, actually. So these are things that weigh heavy on my mind. You know, but they're normal worries, but I don't know, ten o'clock on a Tuesday evening when I'm trying to sleep. So there are practical concerns and things that are harder, but it's so fulfilling. Like it's just me and my little best friend. So like I used to I you an example. I was out with my friends the other day and I sometimes used to feel a bit the odd one out when, you know, just they had their partners there and it never bothered me being single. That It didn't upset me. I didn't feel like, oh, I need to get married or whatever. I didn't actually want to get married, but I did always feel a bit like, oh, there's Sarah, the mad one with the wine in the corner. And I was, right? Like, <laughs> I was a good time gal. But now I was like, oh, look, there's me and my little friends now or, like, I'll wheel her around in the buggy and it's the two of us. Or I'm going on holiday, I'm going with another solo mum actually, but then I'm booking a trip just me and her. And I won't be sitting on my own having lunch in a cafe. And it's so rewarding watching this little person that came out of your body. And like when she learns, like she was, she feeds herself with a spoon now though. And the absolute delight of that, like it's, it's so really, I try and tell everybody like, oh, look what she's doing. Because it's so enormously rewarding and like joyous for me. So just do it like things are really hard but the the scales are only tipped in one direction like she's the best thing I've ever had
1: it's so hard to get that right balance isn't it because it is hard and and we need to say it's hard because I think it would be irresponsible to pretend it's a fairy tale any any situation that you do it in but the, the rewards also are so high. I am exactly the same as you. I know myself very well. And I know that a rational frustration I would have had of <laughs> nobody could ever have met the unrealistic expectations i would just yeah. put in place of what a partner needed to do to support yeah. so just way better not to have that because i, I don't think i would have been a, i don't think i would have dealt with it very well i i, I agree <laughs> with exactly what you say um when it's you it's on you and you can deal with that and anyone who helps you is is, is a positive isn't it but if yeah. you, if there's one person and your expectation is just like you know unrealistic even if you know it's unrealistic right. but you sometimes can't help but feel frustrated
2: no, I totally that. I even do it to my poor mum and like and I, I recognize it's my poor mum when I say that because she might be helping you know things I don't even notice like she made my dinner especially like postpartum when I was in an absolute mess and I really needed to eat well she was doing that and I was just like god I'm to feed Emily every like bloody hour or whatever you're doing nothing <laughs> Like she doesn't have to, of course, she doesn't have to. It's my child, I chose this, but it's just you do it's whoever's in your firing line. I think when life's hard, and if that partner was there all the time, like God help them, I think I'd be in the divorce courts if I'd got married.
1: The other thing for me is I've done a lot of things that I know I wouldn't have done if I had a partner. Like Mm -hmm. the one I always mention is swimming. But there's loads of things I've done. Probably I wouldn't have taught Daisy how to ride a bike. You you know, things that in my mind, stereotypically are probably what I would get my partner to do. And I feel like, I need a break, you go and do that. Whereas actually it's so fulfilling to do some of those things I've really pushed myself to do. So loads of positives, isn't that we can share. Sometimes our brains just go to the the negative and the harder things. So I think it's important to focus on the positives
2: yeah and look i should also say and not as a health warning because i'm like you i i do think people should see honesty and they should see truth because painting anything is rosy you're you're right it's disingenuous it can be dangerous so i mean i'm quite, even quite happy to share the reality of my postpartum belly but um okay like, i am only at six months so it's i think everybody recognizes that's the hard stage especially the first time mum so like obviously your little girl's older I, I hadn't even thought of the joys of like teaching her to ride a bike like that's great like and I'm sure actually if you were to ask me these same questions when well maybe not 15 because that's probably going to be a quite an annoying age for a girl but wait until I've got a 21 year old and we can go for like a glass of wine together or whatever I'm going to have all those bad things are going to be a rose are going to be rose tinted to be like oh I remember the time you didn't let me sleep but then we lay together cuddling do you know
1: yeah, so like
2: take it with the context that I'm living through it in as well. like it'll be entirely different when she's older.
1: and I think I know a lot of people say, Oh, but it would just be so much easier with a partner. But the way that I deal with that is to spend time with my support network with my friendship group with other solo parents and so I don't feel like there's anything missing I feel like there's loads of people there present with me the one thing is nobody else is responsible nobody else will ever be responsible that's something Mm -hmm. you have to get your head around you're responsible but there's loads of other people who can support and help and you can spend time with and can be part of it Uh, so do you do you find that that You've got that responsibility, but you can let other people in to help.
2: So this was yeah, this was a problem I had, and actually it was probably heightening my anxiety. I don't think I ask anyone for help really. No, we'll cut my mum aside because I'm sure I do. And I don't ask her; I probably just tell her, right? But that's the beauty of the mother-daughter relationship. When you're very close to someone; you can almost be brutal. But I, I wasn't. So even an example, which is I spoke about in therapy. Do you know if you take a baby swimming? It's quite hard to go to toilet yourself yeah so what i was doing is i just got used to taking her with me and be able to hold her in one arm and pull some caution from the side and all this and i managed it right whereas like i went back in then and i saw another mom saying would you mind watching him just while i run in the bathroom and i looked at her and i was like god that's astonishing that you have done that and it it sounds so basic but i just wasn't asking people for help mm-hmm. so now it's something i try and do even in a shop do you know like rather than bumping a buggy down steps which i can do you can do all these things i say to someone excuse me like would you mind helping me or can you just or do you know and they do help and actually it makes you see the world in a nicer way but i definitely wasn't doing that and i suspect probably a lot of women who go down this path might have the same problem because you're so used to having to do it yourself even the act of getting pregnant yourself becomes conditioned like i can do this on my own i don't need anyone 100%. hundred percent.
1: I don't even think about it. My best example was I had a massive suitcase. This is before I had Daisy. Massive suitcase in London, hiking it down one of those old tube stops um, where you <coughs> have to go down loads of stairs. And a guy comes past and said, oh, do you want a hand with that? And with, I didn't even consider, I just said, no, thank you. And then down, I was like, why have I said no? I do want a hand. I'm, this is heavy, I'm struggling. But because it's so deeply ingrained that we don't need help, we can do it on our own. So you are so right. So many people struggle Mm -hmm. asking for help. And I do the same as what you've just said now. I really almost try. I make it much more conscious to ask for help. Because what I've noticed is people like to help as well. They do. There's something called the helper's high. So I think of that. I'm giving someone a help as high. <laughs> help. I'm, I, I'm basically doing it for them.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, like, it, I, just when you were saying that there with the tube, I actually got so severe at one point. My dad was over, so her granddad, like, of course, but I have this, I in a little hobbit cottage, and it's got this tiny little step thing at the front, and then another lip at the front door, and it's really quite laboursome, trying to, laborious, I don't know what the word is there, <laughs> trying to get the, the pram over it. Yeah. And he just went to lift the bottom of it, and I was like leave it <laughs> <laughs> why like I, and it was only I stopped myself because I was like Christ why did I say that but it fired out the pit of my stomach and I was like hands off I'm fine and I, I don't know what condition me to be like that but I think in a way it's good because you're tough enough that you can do it yourself yes. and you have a strong enough shell but it really when you have a child anybody giving you five minutes to help is great
1: letting people in can really yes. be a game changer so just making your life easier making it easier for everyone and building connections with people as well you know showing a bit of vulnerability and letting mm-hmm. people in can i think be powerful as well sounds
2: yeah exactly
1: Sarah, it's been so lovely to speak to you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it's so powerful for people to hear so, you know, different versions and to normalise what other people might be going through as well. So really, really helpful. Thank you so much for
2: sharing so openly. Thanks for allowing me, share. <laughs> I'm, I'm a notorious over so I would tell the man in the street and that I'm exactly the same. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah.
0: If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast and would like to access bonus episodes featuring donor-conceived people, psychologists, and other experts, you can head over to my website, thestalkandi.com to subscribe to the Thriving Solo membership. For 2.99 a month, you'll get access to members-only episodes as well as the entire back catalogue. You'll get access to useful resources and a monthly community call which are a great opportunity to meet people in a similar situation to you. On my website, you can also find more information about the coaching I offer. You can also follow me on Instagram at thestalkerny.com
1: to get an insight into the realities of solo parent life.